for the reading of God's word. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Before I get started, I just want you to know I did not forget my wife's birthday. I just... I remembered she that she has a birthday this week. So, uh, have you ever been invited to a gathering or event, and it's kind of like, boy, I really don't know if I want to go. In fact, you decline the invitation, and then maybe you talk to somebody who did go, and they come back and say, "Man, it was great," and then you're saying, "Oh, wow, I, I wish I'd accepted." Or you've been invited, you've accepted the invitation and said, wow, that was really worth it. I'm really glad I went. When we get an invitation, we have a decision to make, don't we? We, we have the opportunity to accept or decline that invitation. And there are a lot of factors that tend to go into our decision, or maybe one, but... For example, is, it, is this something that's important to us? Is it something we're ex- expected to do? Do we have other plans at that time? Will we disappoint someone if we don't accept the invitation? So we, we kind of juggle with all those thoughts in our mind, and we come to a conclusion. We make a decision about whether we're going to accept or decline the invitation. Well, Jesus offers an invitation in this passage of scripture today. And it wasn't just to fishermen at the seaside. It's an invitation to all of us. And he begins by saying this. Come. And folks, it is our choice to accept or decline the invitation. And if this, this same story is told again in, in the book of Luke. And, and we get a little different perspective on it. On, on this story in Luke. Um, and I want it, you'll find that story in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, but I just want to share with you verses 4 through 7. Because Jesus has just been in the boat, and he's, he's been speaking. So it says, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat, uh, in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Sink. Wow. <clears throat> and right after this, Jesus says, come. Now, they could have said, are you kidding? This has been the best day of fishing on our entire lives. I mean, our business is beginning to boom. Why would we come now? Or they could have said, hey, this is the family business. What will they do without us? <clears throat> and then if you look at Luke chapter 9, Jesus kind of gives some examples of other excuses people make not to come. 
In Luke chapter 9, verses 59 through 62, it says this, He said to, the, to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And and so there are excuses. Well, Jesus says, come, and we say, well, not right now. The timing's bad. It's not convenient. There are things that I want to do. Well, Simon and Andrew had a choice, didn't they? How did they respond? Well, in Matthew, this passage that Dean read for us today, it says they left their nets at once. In the book of Luke, it says they left everything and followed him. Just like that. They realized that this was the most important decision that they would ever make. And they accepted Jesus' invitation. And here's what Jesus was inviting them to do. Follow me. Follow me. To be a follower is to be a disciple. You know, we hear about a lot about followers these days. It's kind of a, I think in our more technical age, there's a lot we hear about followers. Bloggers have followers. These uh, talk show, or not necessarily on television, but that you see online, these talk show people, some conservative, some liberal, have followers. Sports teams have followers. We have sports team followers right here, don't we? I'm a sports team follower. I have a niece who is in photography school. She has started a website that features her photos, and for her works to become known, she needs followers. I know an aspiring author who's going to need some followers. So what does it mean to be this kind of follower that I've just been talking about? Well, it means you may agree with some, or disagree maybe, with someone's political or religious views, or you just like their particular take on something, or you share an interest and appreciate their work, or you're just a fan. But there's no real connection and no real commitment. And, And being a follower of this person, in most cases, is probably not going to change your life. But to understand Jesus' invitation in this passage, we need to understand the context. So I'm going to share a little bit about Jewish culture. In Jesus' day, childhood education started at age five as young boys went to the synagogue school to learn Hebrew and study the Torah. But by the time of bar mitzvah, usually at age 13, a typical Jewish young man, and this is incredible to me, had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Leviticus included. And those who showed great promise were encouraged to continue their education and begin studying the authoritative interpretation of the Torah known as the yoke of the Torah. After that, after that, 
next multi-year phase, the young men who continued to show great promise were further encouraged to extend their training by spending time with a rabbi in a multi-year experience. There they would hone their ability to interpret God's Word as it related to all the practical issues of daily life. This would have been true, this would have been the pattern in the life of the Apostle Paul. He'd been through this process. In fact, this highest step of seeking a rabbi to follow. So, a few of the most outstanding students sought permission to study with a famous rabbi, often leaving home to travel with him for a lengthy period of time. These students were called Talmudim. That's the Hebrew word. Our word is disciple. There's much more to a disciple than what we refer to as a student. A student wants to know what the teacher knows so they can get a decent grade or to complete the class or a degree or maybe even out of respect for the teacher. But a disciple wants to be like the teacher. To become what the teacher is. That meant that students were passionately devoted to their rabbi and noted everything he said or did. This meant that the rabbi-disciple relationship was a very intense and, and personal system of learning and growing. As the rabbi lived and taught his understanding of the Scripture, his students listened and watched and imitated so as to become like him. We're to be disciples of Jesus Christ, are we not? To become, to become like him is what we call Christ-likeness. That's our goal, isn't it? To, to be like Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. <clears throat> follow me and I will make you. Spurgeon, the great English uh, preacher, explains it this way in his introduction to this same text that I'm, I'm sharing with you today. He said, when Christ calls us by His grace... We ought not only to remember what we are, but we also uh, ought to think of what He can make us. It is, follow me and I will make you. We should repent of what we have been, but rejoice in what we may be. It is not, follow me because of what you are already. It is not, follow me because you may make something of yourselves, but follow me because of what I will make you. I might say of each one of us, as soon as we are converted, it does not yet appear what we shall be. It's a process, isn't it? It's growth. It did not seem a likely thing that lowly fishermen would develop into apostles. That, that men so handy with a net 
would be quite as much as home at home in preaching sermons and in instructing converts. In fact, remember they used to they would make fun of the disciples because they were unlearned men of Galilee. And look what Jesus did in their lives. <clears throat> if we commit to be Christ's disciples, what will he make of us? Well, he tells us what he wants to make of us. He says, follow me and I will make you. Remember that song? I will make you fishers of men. We used to sing that Sunday school. See, Jesus' ministry was all about people. He came for people. He taught. He preached. He healed for people. He died for people. He called Simon and Andrew to a ministry that was all about people. He calls us to a ministry that's all about people. Fishers of men. So, let's talk about what that means for a, for a few moments. To fish for men, we must go where the fish are. Right? Right, Bill? If you want to catch fish, you've got to go where the fish are. I don't go fishing in my bathtub. There are no fish there. I don't try to fish in someone's aquarium either because those fish are already caught. <clears throat> you know, it's sad to think, think that for the only place that some Christians talk about Jesus is in the aquarium, in the church. That, folks, that's not really fishing. Now, I'm not saying that there are no fish in church that need to be caught. In fact, there should be some fish. We hope there are some fish in church that need to be caught. We want people in church who don't know Jesus. Amen? <clears throat> but Jesus makes a, a declaration about the kind of fish he's interested in going after. He's interested in us going after. He declares in Mark chapter 2 while talking to the teachers of the law, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And folks, most of the fish are out there. Most of the fish are out there. So, is it possible... <clears throat> That God has you where He wants you. Maybe in that job that you don't like so much and want to leave. But God has put you there for fishing. Or could it be that the neighborhood that you've tried unsuccessfully to get out of is your assigned fishing hole? Maybe we keep missing opportunities to catch simply because we fail to recognize the water that we're in. Who do you know who is broken or overlooked or sick or depressed or hopeless or burdened or maybe even rejected by others? That is fishing water. Throws those fish some friendship, some hope, some compassion, some acceptance, some healing, some love, and you might find that you're catching fish. 
And to do that, we must use the right methods. Now, let me say this. First of all, you have to be fishing. You can't catch fish if your line's not in the water, okay? That's underlying this thought here. And what I'm talking about here by the right methods is not, you know, the four spiritual laws or the Roman road to salvation or some other tract or tool that you might use. That's not to say that those cannot be effective, but what I'm talking about is how you go about fishing. And very few of us will do what's called cold evangelism, kind of like the street preacher, you know, out there on the corner. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen one of those, but, you know, they're out there and they're just calling people to repentance right here on the spot. Sometimes strangers respond. I've been reading this book, 8 to 15. It's called uh, The World is Smaller Than You Think. And he gives a great example of what we would call cold evangelism. He says, years ago, oh, by the way, this is written by Tom Mercer. He said, years ago, I had an incredible, I heard an incredible story about a guy who, while walking through an intersection in a large city, noticed a police officer directing traffic in the middle of the street. As he walked by, the man sensed the Holy Spirit prompting him to go up to the officer and tell him that God loved him. Wait a minute. The man dismissed the impulse and kept walking. Haunted by the continued sense that he had been disobedient to the Spirit, he finally walked back to that intersection, up to the cop, and said, Excuse me, officer, but God just told me to tell you that he loves you. Tears started running down under the cop's mirrored sunglasses. Traffic stopped. With a broken voice, the officer said, I prayed to God for the first time in a long time last night and told him that if he was real, the least he could do was send someone to tell me that he was there for me. Within a matter of minutes, the officer called for backup and then prayed to receive Christ right there on the street corner. That is what's called cold evangelism. Just someone you don't know from Adam, but you walk up and there's this incredible evangelism experience that takes place. But for most of us, that would be rare. Maybe it might never happen to you. <clears throat> Folks, we, I know we don't all have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to evangelize. So, what I'm talking about when I talk about method might be called friendship or lifestyle evangelism. It's evangelizing people in your world, in your sphere of influence. And what I'm going to share with you are not hard and fast rules or a step-by-step kind of list, like you do one, then you do two, then you do three. These are ways, though, that you can build relationships with people and open doors to share Jesus with them. So, here we go. First of all, make connections Develop relationships with people that you see regularly. There are, there are people in our lives that we see regularly. Co-workers, neighbors, friends, the barista at the coffee shop, the server at the restaurant, the bank teller. <clears throat> Learn their name. And maybe engage them in light conversation. You know, even stuff about, hey, how about those Broncos? Or, what do you think about the weather? Man, it's still hot, you know. Just, we're breaking the ice here, okay? And then, build on the relationship. You know, sometimes in the open door of conversation like that, you'd be surprised how people respond, and sometimes they'll begin to open themselves up to you a little bit. So be a good listener. 
Discuss their interests if you can find out what they are. Things like hobbies, sports and recreation, family activities, vacations, children's interests. People love to, to brag about their kids. Personal properties. Hey, I've got a boat. You've got a boat. I've got a boat. you got a motorcycle. I've got a motorcycle. You like gardening? Hey, I like gardening. Oh, you have a dog? I have a dog. And in the case of neighbors, people ride around with you. Boy, if there's a project they're working on, you know, shovel snow, help them shovel snow in the winter. Grab a paintbrush if they'll let you. That kind of thing. And then cultivate common interests. Do things together. The goal is to build a reservoir of common shared experiences with these people. Discover what interests them and then go fishing or golfing or walking or have coffee together. And then here's something Julie and I have tried to do. Make the holidays count. New Christmas, New Year, Easter, Fourth of July, Thanksgiving. Opportune times for you to invite people to open your home extend an invitation, share a meal or, or, or refreshments. And you don't have to share a devotional to make it a, the event a success. But capitalize on the holidays. It's, it's a great way to show your friendship and love in special ways. People are more receptive to invites and hearts are more open during these special times of year. So if you can, take advantage of them. And then be available when people hurt. That kind of goes back to that listening ear. You know, I prayed about it. We are all experiencing, there's a lot of tough stuff going on in the world we live in. We're not the only ones who deal with tough stuff, and I think we know that. So there's sickness, maybe the death of a loved one, marital problems, financial struggles, and other pressures. Those are opportunities for us to express Christ's love to people. Remember, I, don't, I think maybe um, John Maxwell said this. Remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The hurts of others are opportunities to become good news to them. And then be a good seed planter. There will be opportunities during your friendship with these individuals to communicate bits and pieces of the gospel in your own personal testimony. Then be sensitive as you do that. Because sometimes people aren't always ready. Watch for signs of nervousness or maybe their attention begins to wander off or maybe those nonverbal cues that, uh, I'm really not interested in hearing this right. So don't press the issue. Let the Holy Spirit do His work. I, I, I didn't know where to put this, but I saw this on the internet just yesterday. Someone wrote this, don't just invite people to church, although you should do that, but don't just invite people to church. <clears throat> invite them to lunch, invite them to your home, invite them into your heart, tell them you love them, tell them you'll always be there for them. You are the church, not the building. And so then be ready to share, be pre prepared to... Set the hook. We do need to be able 
to share the words of the gospel. Knowing scripture is important. It doesn't hurt to have a few verses memorized. But a key to also is being able to share your own personal experience with Jesus. What has Jesus done in your life? How do they question that? This is what I've experienced with Jesus Christ. In John chapter 9, the blind man didn't know much. I don't know. Jesus made this huge mistake. He He healed this guy on Sunday. He did something nice on Sunday. And so the religious leaders were kind of upset about that. So they bring this blind guy in and they take him through this intense interrogation. And they call him in more than once. And the second time he comes in, um, this is what he says. This is from John chapter 9. And he hadn't yet had the time to learn about Jesus. But he did tell these guys, the religious leaders, what he knew. John 9.25. And they've called Jesus a sinner because he healed the man on Sunday. Here's the man's response. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. How do you challenge his personal experience? So what has Jesus done for you? And are you ready to share that? In 1 Peter 3.15, we're challenged. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And then, we need to remember this too. Because we can't get discouraged. Fishing doesn't mean catching. Fishing doesn't mean catching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul's dealing with the Corinthian church who kind of have these loyalties. Some for Paul, some for Apollos. And so Paul's kind of trying to say, no, it's not either one of us, it's God. And he says at this point, I planted, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. <clears throat> We may not be the one who leads someone to Jesus, but we can do our part in pointing them to Him. Right? Okay. God has a role for each of us to play in the lives of those He's placed in our world and on our hearts. It may be planting a seed. It may be watering. It may be somehow cultivating But ultimately, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in the person's life as you are faithful to be obedient that brings them to faith in Jesus Christ. Nazarene pioneer missionary Harman Schmelzenbaugh arrived in Africa to begin his work among the Zulu tribe in Swaziland on June 18, 1907. He worked tirelessly for years but did not see his first convert until the summer of 1913. For six years, six years it took to get a result. So what's that say to us? It says, even if you're not catching, don't quit fishing. Even if you're not catching, don't quit fishing. 
So Jesus said, come. It's the invitation. We can accept or decline. Follow me and I will make you. I will do the work in your life of making you fishers of men. Joining me in my mission and ministry. Are we going to accept the invitation? Amen. Father, we come to you today. What an awesome thing it is to think, to know, that you have called us to partner with you in the work of the kingdom. And we know that on the lakeshore that day, this invitation that Jesus extended to Simon and Andrew wasn't just for them. It's for us. All of us through history who would follow Jesus and trust Him to make us like Himself into fishers of men. So I pray, Father, that we will be challenged anew today to answer that call. And no matter what happens, even as we attempt to plant seeds, to water, to reach out, to build relationships with people, to get to know them, to be there for them, that no matter what the results of those efforts are, whether we're just having a hand in the process and pointing to them to Jesus, or we have the privilege of being there for the harvest, may we never quit fishing. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. May you go in his grace and peace.